welcome to the well at STSA. If you're just joining us here for the first time, you came in the middle of a fun series, and it's a particularly fun topic we're going to have a lot of fun with here today, because what we are talking about, as you just saw there in the intro video, is we are on a search for me, all right? And this search has been going on for the past two weeks, and what we're trying to discover is who we are in Christ, okay? We're trying to discover our identity, and what we agreed from the very, very beginning is who we are or who we believe we are is so critical because all of behavior in life ultimately comes from who we think we are. The person who thinks they have no value will behave accordingly, and their life will exemplify that, versus the one who believes they have infinite and eternal value will probably behave in such a way as well. So what we've been trying to do is escape the identity that has been handed down to us throughout our lives. The identity that was given to us by our parents, maybe by our teachers, maybe by our bosses or our wives or our children, all the things that we hear about ourselves, and we want to go to the ultimate source of truth, which is God and His Word, and see who am I really. That's why we call this the search for me. Because when I know who I am in God's Word and according to God's own mouth, then I can live as such, and I don't need to be tossed to and fro by this person who tells me I'm worth or not worth. Or this person who tells me I'm valuable or not valuable. I need to see who I am in God's eyes. In the first two weeks, we looked at the two most important characteristics. The first most important characteristic that we saw, that in Christ, we are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things, all, all things are new. All things have passed away. All things have become new in Christ. And we talked about how we were created by our parents, mother and father, and then recreated in Christ. And that sounds weird, and it sounds kind of mystical and all that kind of stuff, but it's true. And sometimes the things that are weird-sounding are the best things in life. And we agreed that a, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon. He was created as a caterpillar. He goes into a cocoon, and he's recreated as a butterfly. We are recreated in the waters of baptism, the waters of regeneration, according to what the New Testament says. We become a new creation. The first characteristic of that new creation we talked about last week is I am a child of God. And if you don't know what it means to be a child of God, man, you have to go back and listen to last week's message. Go on the website, thewellatstsa.com, and you have to understand what does it mean that you are a child of God because that is an eternal childhood. The ones you have been given God's last name, that, that will never, ever, ever, ever change. And that means if you're good or if you're bad, if you're close or if you're far, being a child of God is your eternal identity. And we saw that last week, that my identity as a child has more to do with my father, not me. Because as a newborn baby, we identify a newborn child by he's the son of so-and-so or the daughter of so-and-so. Well, we, as children of God, our identity is more tied up in who he is than who we are. And we saw last week that because we are children of God, that we are continually accepted, that we are relentlessly pursued, and we are, best of all, preemptively forgiven. And that lasts in eternity. Now, today, like I said, we're going to have some fun today because we're going to do some of the job description of a child is today. Last week, we talked about what does it mean to be a child. And I'm a child of God. And I'm adopted into God's family. But let me ask you a question. If you are, we've been kind of going with this, with this orphan Annie analogy. We'll stick with it for a little bit. If you are Big Daddy Warbucks and you adopt little orphan Annie into your family, she's on the streets, she's homeless, she's an orphan, she has nothing, you bring her into your big mansion, you love her, you give her new clothes, you give her gifts, you shower her with all kinds of love. 
then what? Then what? What's the purpose? Is that it? Just live happily ever after? Like, what's the purpose of bringing Annie off the street, 11-year-old kid or 10-year-old kid, bring him into my house? Is the purpose just to bring her in, love her, shower her with gifts, and we all live happily ever after, and that's it. And until the day she dies, I'm just going to keep giving, 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 giving her gifts, and I don't want anything from her. Is the purpose of adopting a child just to give them a bunch of stuff, and that's it? Or would you say, when you adopt a child, that you are expecting some kind of output? You're not doing it because you want the output. Like, it's not contingent. It's not output, and then I love you. It's I love you, now I want you to have some output. Like, I want you to be a successful member of society. I want you to grow up. I want you to take the love that I've given you, the opportunity that you never had, and then go make something of yourself. Go get a job. Go be successful. Go adopt some other kid who needs a, a break. The whole purpose of me pouring into you is that at some point there would be some output. Agree? Think of it like a scholarship. Why do we give kids scholarship? I see a kid who's kind of tough on his luck, and I give him a scholarship to college or to medical school or whatever. Why? Just so he feels loved? Here's a scholarship. Now go feel loved. No. I want him to feel loved, but I want him to use the scholarship to become something. To become something great that he couldn't have become on his own. So the adoption is for a purpose. The input is for the sake of some kind of output. Does God want an output from us? Or is it all just input? Does God desire an output from us? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation. That's kind of what we talked about. We are adopted. We are chosen. But now look what happens once you're chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, nation of saints. I'll explain that in a second. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's what we're going to talk about here today. Is that as a child of God, as an adopted member of God's family, it is a great honor, a great privilege. That's our eternal identity. God has poured everything into us, made us part of his family. But that's not the end of the story. That's actually only chapter one of the story. And the purpose of him pouring himself into us is that we would then grow up, mature, graduate, and then become useful members of society, productive members of his family, that there would be some output from all the input that he poured into us. And specifically, we're going to talk about two things here today. That we are called to be a royal priesthood, and we are called to be a holy nation. We're going to see in a little bit the word holy is the same as the word saint. Okay, the two words are used interchangeably sometimes in the scripture. It's the same word, holy and saint. So we are called to be a royal priesthood and a nation of saints or a holy nation. Any saints in the room? If I were to take a survey, so how many people here sit next to a saint? Anyone, go ahead. Go ahead. Everyone who's sitting next to a saint, go ahead. Yeah. Hey, who's sitting next? Most people would say like, Okay, if I say this, how many people sit next to a priest? For sure, everyone would say like, what are you talking about, Father Anthony? There's only one priest in this room. And there's some nice people. Like that guy watched my dog when I was out of town, but that doesn't make him a saint. Okay? So-and-so picked me up in the street when I had a flat tire, but come on, we, we call him a saint? Most of us would say saints and priests, yeah, those are nice concepts. But according to this verse, how many saints are in this room? Every single person is a saint. How many priests are in this room? Every single person in this room is a priest, according to what this verse says. Now, most of us would take a verse like this and apply it in a spiritual sense. 
Because anytime we don't understand something, we just say it's spiritual. Okay? So this means that we should all be good. Okay? And be kind to one another. That's what we take this means. It means that God loves us, we should be kind to one another. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think this verse means that you're a chosen generation, that you're a royal priesthood, and that you're a holy nation. I think that's exactly what it means, exactly what it says. And the people who wrote the words, and the disciples of the people who wrote the words, and the disciples of the people who were disciples of the people who wrote the words, they believe this verse, verse was literal and had gr much greater meaning than me and you. So what we are going to do today is delve into what does it mean. We're going to break it up. What does it mean to be a saint? Because as it said in the title, that we are called to sainthood. What does it mean to be a priest? Because we are ordained for priesthood. We're not just going to take it in a spiritual sense. We're going to see that maybe, maybe, when God says this verse to us, maybe the bar that he sets for us is a little bit higher than we've been setting for ourselves. Maybe some of us need to step up and challenge ourselves that we are called to be more than just consumers. There's supposed to be an output from this. And the output, again, think of it like parents with children. My, I give everything I have my kids. Nothing, anything I have belongs to my kids. I want to give them everything that I got. But the purpose, I hope that there's something that's produced from the input that I pour into them. And I believe, just as it says right here, I said sainthood and priesthood. I believe that when I pour into my children, I want something for them to become and something for them to do. Something for them to become their character. I want them to be, my kids to be honest, hardworking, trustworthy, reliable, like responsible. I want them to become something in their character. But then I also want them to do something with their life. Okay? I want them to uh, be successful in whatever career that they choose. I want them to uh, give to the poor. Like I want them to be something and do something. Well, God calls us to be something, holy, saints. And God calls us to do something, royal priesthood. And we're going to look at these two components. What God calls us to be and what God calls us to do. Let's start with the inside, the character. I'm called to be a saint. I'm called to be a saint. What's a saint? I'm called to be a saint. What's it mean to be a saint? What is sainthood? Is sainthood like something like the elite of the elite have? Is sainthood something like very far out of reach? Like I discovered that there's kind of two extremes with sainthood and we kind of naturally gravitate to one of these two extremes. Some people view sainthood as a very common thing. And like I said, somebody mowed my lawn, they're a saint. Somebody fed my dog when I was out of town, they're a saint. Someone uh, gave me a ride to the airport, they're a saint. Okay, and we use the word saint as like a very common thing. I remember when I was a kid, I went to Catholic school. All right, in Catholic school, I played on the basketball team. All right, and, and we used to play other Catholic schools and they were all named after saints. So I had like this, this weird view of saints. Oh man, we crushed St. John yesterday. Yeah, we killed St. John. Oh, St. Mary beat the tar out of us last week. Like I always had this thing between me and St. George. Okay, we had a, a situation because all his teams were dirty. And I always felt like something was St. George. Okay, never, never really got comfortable with him because all his teams were dirty. Because we sometimes we're very casual with saints. We name our, our, our streets after saints. We got islands named after saints, cities named after saints. So saints has just become one of those words that we don't even realize that it means something reverent. That's one extreme. The other extreme 
It's like I said, if it's something very high, no, 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 don't talk about saying we're, we are the worst people and I'm very bad and I can never be a saint. And saints are only people who like memorize the Bible, who like pray all the time. No, no, I can't be a saint. Like I listen to music. Saints don't listen to music. They like, they, they just, you know, sing hymns and psalms and, and, and I wear like regular clothes and they probably wear like, you know, like witness wear and they, they don't chew like gum like me. They, they chew testaments, you know, the testaments from the Christian bookstore. I chew like secular gum. I can never be a saint. We want to see the truth. What does it mean to be a saint? Let's look into verses of Scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. St. Paul speaking to a group of people in Corinth. To the entire church says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, meaning every single person, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So he says to all those in Corinth, you are called to be saints. He says the same thing to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 2 again. To all who are in Rome, again, all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He called people saints who he would later in the same epistle, especially in Corinthians, rebuke them for their sinful behavior. So there's the first clue for us. He says to them, I'm calling you saints. And then a couple chapters later, I'm telling you, y'all are doing some bad choices. So the first thing that we realize is that our idea of sainthood, which is that it means that you're perfect and you never make any mistakes and you are this, this, this like come out of the womb singing, uh, reciting Bible verses, is not true. Because the same people that he rebuked, he says it called to be saints. St. Peter sheds a little light here for us when he speaks in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, again, the word holy and the word saint are the same word. The word holy and the word saint are the same word. One is just the noun and one is like the, like you just use it in different ways. Okay, but the two words are, are used interchangeably. Saint and holy. A saint is holy and holy means that you're a saint. So St. Peter says, as God is holy, you also be holy. What is saint? or holy mean at its root? What does the word holy mean at its root? Saint equals holy, which literally means set apart. It doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without blemish. The word itself means someone in a separate category, someone set apart. That's why we say about God, God is holy. Why is God holy? Yes, God is perfect. And yes, God is blemish, no blemish. And yes, God is sinless, absolutely. But the word holy just means that God is in a separate category. Like that's why we say about God, God is holy, holy, holy. He's in a separate category. We are not in the same category as God. God is holy, we are not. Separate category. But then it says, as he who called you is holy, he has called you and he has invited you to also be holy. By your nature, you're not holy. By your nature, you're the same as me. We're all the same. But holy doesn't mean that we have sins. What holy means is that despite how we were created, you have been chosen, selected, and set apart. That's why one of the things for those who have attended any liturgical service, any sacramental service here in the church, the, the liturgy of the Eucharist or it's actually in every sacrament that we do, but you don't always pay attention. One of the things that we say at the very end, before the sacrament takes place, like before communion, is the priest says, 
The holies are for the holy. The holies, meaning the holy things, which is the sacrament, the bread, which is now the body, the cup, which is now the blood, the holy things are for the holy people. And you respond, say, one is the Holy Father, one is the Holy Son, one is the Holy Spirit, saying that I am never going to be holy. God is the only one who's holy. Okay, but leave that part aside. What does it mean when I say the holy things are for the holy people? It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect to partake of the body and blood because none of us are perfect. We spend half the liturgy saying, Lord, have mercy. By definition, we're not perfect. But what it's saying is, I'm not saying you have to be perfect to partake of the holy things, but you have to be holy. And you have to say that I am different, that I am set apart, that I am consecrated for God, that I am not the same as everybody else, that I am at my nature. Because even though I was created this way, I have been created with a new nature, and I am a new being. I am no longer a caterpillar. I am now a butterfly. I am set apart from the rest. There's a story of one of the great saints of the church. His name is St. Augustine, who had a, a, a pretty drastic conversion. St. Augustine was like a gangster. Okay, thug kind of a life. Okay, he lived a, a very bad life, right? And he was openly bad, and he was just very, 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 very bad, didn't believe in God, and you know. And one day, St. Augustine, after his conversion, was walking down the street, and a prostitute saw him, and he had, uh, you know, done business with the prostitute, okay? Okay, for many times. So she knew him, and she kept calling him Augustine, and he just kept walking. Augustine, he kept walking. Finally, she ran and caught up to him. She said, Augustine, it is I. And he said, but it is no longer I. See what he's saying? He's saying, you're looking for someone who's no more here. Because I've been set apart. Didn't mean he was perfect. In fact, we know from his life, like I said, he was not perfect. But he was holy. He became a saint. It is no longer I. That leads me to the following conclusion. That sainthood is not so much about what you do, but rather about who you are. Sainthood is not about what you do, it's rather about who you are. It's not about your actions as much as it is about your identity. That's why, like I said, St. Paul can say, you saints, stop sinning. He could say that because sinning was not against sainthood. Behavior was not against identity. Yes, the behavior was not matching, and that's what St. Paul is saying. This is your identity. Get your behavior in line with your identity, but your identity is a saint. You are called to be saints. Give you an example. Give you an example of what does it mean your identity is sainthood. It's the way you were now, excuse me, created and then recreated. Okay, you were created as, let's say, I'll use the term created as a sinner, recreated as a saint. Okay, we'll use that term even though it's not 100%, but that's fine. Think of the difference between a fish and a human being. A fish any human being. Fish lives in water, swims around there and does all kinds of stuff. Can a human being swim in water? Yeah. You can look and say, there goes a fish, swim by, there goes a human being, swim by. And you can look and see the behavior is not really any different, right? Like one swim right, the other swim right. One swim this way, swim down. The behavior is pretty much the same, right? At times. What's the difference though? Is their nature the same? Can a human being live in water? Like a human being can go in water for a little bit and spend some time there and have some fun and feed the fish and do all kinds of cool stuff. But he cannot live there. A fish lives in water. So even though the behavior at times may look similar, the nature is completely different. The identity is different. We, 
as recreated in Christ, as children of God. We sin sometimes. For sure we sin. But sin is no more our nature. Sainthood is our nature. And there's a difference between, get this one right, we are not sinners who sometimes do good things. We are saints who sometimes do sins. That's our nature. And there's a big difference between the two. We are not sinners who every now and then something good comes out of us. We are saints who every now and then we fall into sin. But that's not how we were meant. If we try to live in sin as a man who tries to live in the ocean, he will die. Because that's not how he was created to live. Don't believe me? Look what St. Paul says. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. We're going to read a, a major chunk here. If you, if you need more on this topic, Romans 6 is your passage. The first one is what we looked at before about the recreation in Christ. But St. Paul gives it as an intro. He says, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So he starts off saying, Remember, when you were baptized... In Christ, the waters of regeneration, you were recreated, and now you walk in a new life. Okay, you don't live the same way you used to live before. Then he expands on that. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. So when we were buried with Christ and risen, there really was a burial, and there really was a new life. And the burial was the old man, that sin part of us. And now we've been raised as saints. And who tries to go back to sin? Listen to what it says here. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. That's what we're talking about. And the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to this. What St. Paul is saying right here is that once we are recreated in Christ, our nature is saint. We cannot live in sin. Someone who tries to live in sin as someone who tries to live in the ocean will die. You say, no, wait a minute. Wait, Father Anthony, take it easy right there. I swim in the ocean all the time. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun to swim. But if you try to stay down there, you're going to die. There's a difference between living in sin versus falling into sin. Sometimes you walk in by the thing, you fall in the ocean. Okay, swim, get yourself up. Versus one who says, no, you know what, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to live down there. I'm going to make my home right there. I'm going to send my mail here. Someone who tries to live in the ocean will die. And the saint who's recreated in Christ, who goes back to living in sin, not falling into sin, there's a big difference. Falling into sin, we all fall. But the one who goes back to living in sin, end result is death. Being a saint is not about being perfect. Like I want to say it this way. Being a saint is about not the sin that you do, but what you do after the sin that you do. It's a little complicated. Let me say it like that. Being a saint is not about the sin that you do, but what you do after you do the sin that you do. You know what I'm trying to say. Being a saint, let me say it another way, is not about not falling down. It's about the getting up. How about that? Being a saint is not about the not falling down. It's about the getting up. And as saints, called to sainthood, we are called to live holy lives separate from the rest of the world. So the rest of the world says, no, 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 man. We all make these mistakes. No, 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 but me, I'm called to be a saint. And I'm not saying it in a snobbish and erring way, but I'm a child of God. Weren't you here last week? I'm a new creation. 
I'm a butterfly. You're a caterpillar. I'm not looking down at you, but I'm telling you that I cannot go back to living down there with the breadcrumbs. I'm up here. I'm flowers. I'm nectar. I'm, 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 I'm free. And being a saint is not about what God... That's why I always say holiness. Holiness is not what God... Is not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. Holiness is not what God wants from us. Like, be holy or I'm going to get you. God is saying, no, no, no. He's saying, up here, live up here. This is where you're meant to live. You're not meant to live down there with the breadcrumbs and the caterpillars. You're not going to work underwater. The end result of living in sin is death. But you have been created to be a sinner. Or be a saint, I'm sorry. Be a saint. That's the first thing. Because we are called to be saints. Now let's get to the mission part of it. Okay, and then we'll tie them both together and see how they work together. God has called me to be a saint. He says, you are set apart. You are different. You are not like everyone else. And now that you are different, now I need you to go and do something about it. I am ordained to be a priest. And now this one, you can say, okay, wait a minute, Father, anything. I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the call to be a saint thing. But I know for certain, I know priests. I know for certain, this is pictures of when I was ordained as a priest. And I know for, you say, I know for certain, I ain't go and dress no funny clothes like that. Some man put me, I know for certain I ain't no priest. I even, a female, I didn't even think we were allowed to be female priests. It sounds like sacrilegious even just to say it. Just as I said a minute ago, that sainthood is not so much about what you do, but about who you are. Priesthood is not about your job. It's about your purpose. It's not about your job. It's about your purpose. There's two kinds of priesthood. There's the general priesthood. That's the purpose of all of us. And then there's the specific me priesthood. Okay, and I'll kind of tell you how the two tied in, tie into each other. But realize that they're two separate things. Let's look at the me priesthood for a second, okay? The me priesthood. When you think of a priest, okay? Father Anthony, he's a priest. What's my job? You know, when you become a priest, they don't give you like a, a manual, okay? Or there's no like a training session where they tell you, okay, these are the five things. That, there's nothing like that. You got to kind of figure it out for yourself. But most people kind of have an idea of what a priest is supposed to be or supposed to do. Well, what's a priest supposed to do? Well, I know I'm supposed to preach. I know I'm supposed to like stand at the altar and pray, visit sick people, talk to people about God. What's a priest supposed to be? I mean, if I'd say if I had to kind of to, to, to make it into a simple little compact formula, I'd say a priest is a representative of God. Would you say that's about accurate? Like, when people see me in the street, they know I can talk to this person about God. And even, I don't even know what God he believes in or I believe in, but I know I can talk about God things to this man. That's why people stop me and some people hate my guts before they've even met me. And some people love me and are very kind and reverent and respectful. Not because of me. They don't even know me, but because of who I represent. And they know, here's a person who represents God. Okay, man of the cloth, the holy man, whatever it is. And they don't know me from nothing. But this is someone who represents someone. Think of it like an ambassador. Okay, I walk around in, in whatever country, and I walk around with a sign that says, U.S. ambassador to, you know, China or to whatever country. I'm the U.S. ambassador. So I know when I see this person that I'm taking all of the United States and my feelings and thoughts, whatever United States, and I'm putting it on this person. This person has become an intermediary between me and this, and this other entity. Or representative, not intermediary. Stay away from intermediary. Let's say representative or ambassador. 
you two are a priest in that sense. You are not just any priest. You are a royal priest. The word priest itself, like, get rid of the, the, the Christian word that we know priest. Like in, 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 like, the pagans. Okay, they would have a temple priest. What does a temple priest mean? It means a minister of the temple. Right? It means a minister. We took priesthood. We took priesthood and think it means like, no, priesthood means like the leader. Priesthood means like the boss. It means like the guy who's in charge. That's not what priest means. Priest means a servant. What's another word for priest that our, our, our other churches may use instead of priest? They would say a minister, right? What's a minister? Minister's a servant. So a priest, you think of it, say, a priest is a leader. I'm not, I'm not a priest. Okay, forget about that. But it's a minister. It's someone who's a servant of. As a priest of God's house, I'm a servant of God's house. As a priest of the temple, I'm a servant of the temple. And you are a royal priest. Meaning you are a priest or a servant of who? Royalty of the king. Look what it says right here. A couple of verses, Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Again, he ties those two together. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. I own everything. You're my priest, my minister, my servant. Book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's the adoption as children. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says he loved us. He washed us. And now he is commissioning us to be his priest, to be his representatives out there in the world. So congratulations for you. You've been ordained. Congratulations. Congratulations. You say, today you became a priest. And today, no more, you represent only yourself. You walk around in them streets, you represent all of the kingdom of heaven and all of us. You are a representative of the great king. You are an ambassador. You have been commissioned that you no more speak only for yourself. You speak for the God of heaven and earth. It's a 24-7 job. 365 days a week. I may take off this robe at some times, but I never take off my royal priesthood and the same royal priesthood that you have. Congratulations. Welcome to the team. Now I can read some of your minds. Some of you are saying to yourself, hold on here, Father Anthony. I just showed up. Here's my second week here. I ain't preaching to nobody. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not answering any questions. Like, take it easy right here. I don't want to be like you. Like you, like you're saying to me, like you made the choice, okay, for whatever reason, like you got suckered into it, you lost the bet, like whatever it is, you got suckered into it, that's you. More power to you, we pray for you, we love you, that's not me. I'm a normal person, I'm not a priest. I was never ordained as a priest. I was never ordained as a priest. Were you ordained as a priest? Were you ordained as a priest? Yes, you were ordained as a priest. Yes, you were ordained as a priest. And I was just sharing this yesterday, the group over at AFC, I was saying the word ordained, or I'll tell you the more official word, consecrated. The word consecrated. A lot of you would say, Father Anthony, you've consecrated your life to the ministry. And I will tell you that for the first 400 years of Christianity, the word consecration did not exist. It did not exist. There was no such thing as, oh, those people are consecrated. You know why? Because everybody was consecrated. Because you and me were consecrated when we entered the waters of baptism. 
That's what consecration meant. There was no words. You know what else there was no word? There was no word monks and nuns. There was no word. You know why? Because everyone was living as a, as a monk or a nun. Not saying in like a celibate way, but in an ascetic way. Then when the church became weak and people stopped wanting to be ascetic, what they said is, okay, you guys, uh, we ordain you as monks. Go be ascetic on our behalf. So when they say, is the church ascetic? Yeah, look, those guys. Uh, and we don't want to be consecrated anymore. So what, you know what? You guys, we're going to consecrate you guys. You guys go become priests and the rest of us will live it up and enjoy our life. That's not the original. That's not the way it was meant to be. There's no word consecration. Consecration means set apart, which we already agreed when we were baptized. We were set apart. We were taken from here and put over here. We were outside of Christ and we were put inside of Christ. We were caterpillars and we were set apart. And from that moment on, from that moment on, we were set apart. We were consecrated. We were ordained by God. After you're baptized in the Orthodox tradition, you are immediately after, bapti after baptism chrismated and receive the oil of chrismation. Chrismation, okay, means the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You're anointed with oil in the same way in, in, the, in, the, in the book of Acts, they would baptize and they would lay hands and they would receive the Holy Spirit. We, after baptism, we put oil, we anoint with oil and that oil is when the person is now become the temple of the Spirit. The temple of God's Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, after you believed, you repented, you were baptized, you received the Spirit, what happens after that? Anytime the Holy Spirit is given, there's always a purpose. Look at the first time the Holy Spirit was given. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. St. Peter stood up and gave a speech, and he referred to this prophecy from the book of Joel that was fulfilled this day. Acts 2, 17. He said, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's what's happening on Pentecost. And then what happens? After I pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. What happened on this day, on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles. And instantly, what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles? Instantly, they received their job description. Instantly, they were ordained for the ministry. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they went out there and started preaching. Because now they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the gift is given for a task. What I'm trying to say is anytime you look in the entire Scripture, Old and New Testament, the giving of the Holy Spirit was always connected to a task or a purpose or a job. The Holy Spirit was not given for fun. The Holy Spirit was not given so you could do cool tricks. And in fact, some people said, give me this Holy Spirit so that I can like know the future. I said, that's not the Holy Spirit. I don't pull the Holy Spirit out of my pocket, okay, and give you, here's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is given for those who are consecrated, set apart, to now do a task. And that's what it means to be a priest. Were you, did you receive the Holy Spirit? If you believe that you received the Holy Spirit, then you have to believe that you were ordained as a royal priest in God's service. I was reading this nice book about the Holy Spirit, and he was saying, in the church, there is no ministry without the gifts of the Spirit. In the church, there is no ministry without the gifts of the Spirit. Like, I can't do what I do unless God gives me His Spirit. But by the same token, there is no ministry without the gifts of the Spirit, and there is no gifts of the Spirit without ministry. Did you catch that one? There is no gift... There's no ministry without the Spirit, but there's no Spirit without ministry. 
Meaning God doesn't just give his Holy Spirit to us so that we can, like I said, have a good time. And so that we can feel very special and feel very loved. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And then there has to be an output. And the output is our job, which is our royal priesthood. One of the negative things that we've done. Okay, now I'll talk about my priesthood. Okay, because I'm just to show you the distinction. One of the negative things that we have done. And the longer you've been in church, the more susceptible you are to having done this. Is we have reduced the church down to the clergy. Meaning, we identify the church as the guy dressed in black. And that's wrong. I have a priesthood that is different than your priesthood. But my priesthood is mainly, mainly a sacramental priesthood. Meaning that I have been given the gift to perform the sacraments and administer the sacraments. A gift that you don't have. You don't just show up here and say, Father Anthony's late. I'll take the liturgy on his behalf. Okay, or those who, he's not here to baptize, so let me step in. You don't do that. Because I've been given that gift that you do not have. But that's it. I am not a, 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 a special, like I'm not a new nature. Like when I, was, when I was ordained, I wasn't given a new nature. The new nature, we were all given, we were baptized and chrismated. We, all of us were converted from caterpillar to butterfly. All of us were received that. All of us received that anointing. And then me, I was given a task. And my task, sacramental task. You're given a task. Some people up here before, task was sing the music. I can't do that job. I was not given the gift of that. I can try. I would love to. But you would not care very much for that. Some people were given the task of hospitality. Some people were given the task of taking care of the children. The Holy Spirit is given to all of us to a, do a specific task. And I receive a, but it's not a different spirit. The same spirit was given to me to do this task. Same spirit for you to do this task. Same spirit for this task. That's what St. Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. He says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another the faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. We have this idea, and I hope you don't have this idea, but some people have this idea. No, no, go to the priest. He'll tell you what you need to do. He's a man of God. He'll tell you what you need to do. No, 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 The priest, the priest. We elevate priests and even bishop. We elevate them and say, but no, I'm not talking about bishop. Let's stick with priest. Okay, just get myself out of trouble. Okay. We elevate priests sometimes to an unnatural and, and, and forgive me, a sacrilegious state that we say like, no, no, no. They have been given as if like you got like little peewee Holy Spirit, but I got like the real Holy Spirit. Like, I got the real deal, and you just got like a little, like, you know, like a little, a finger of the Holy Spirit. Here, here's a finger of the Holy Spirit. Take that. But I got like the real deal Holy Spirit. And if you want access to him, come talk to me. That's not, that's not. We're all given the same spirit. And yeah, I always view church. Church is all of us together going to a certain place. And when you all go together on a bus, there's usually one person driving the bus. But the bus driver isn't somebody special. In fact, the bus driver is usually the servant of the people who's sitting in the back of the limousine, isn't he? So that's, that's all I am is the bus driver. Because in the beginning, the church got together, and we said, we're all together, okay? And, and But you know what? You can't all drive at the same time. Like, only, only two hands on the steering wheel. So you know what? You people, you're not very good at driving. You, you fall asleep all the time. You guys, you're good at driving. You, you're going to drive for us. But we're all on the same bus. We're all going to the same place. And someone's going to look at the map in the back. And someone's going to change the oil when it's going to change. And someone's going to take care of the screaming kids. And someone's going to, oh, but we're just one bus. And the priest is just the driver of the bus. And yeah, he looks like cool because he's out in front. 
But the bus driver is no better than the people sitting in the bus. The bus driver is the servant of the people sitting in the bus. We've lost that a little bit today. We've lost that a little bit. And I'm not trying to, I'm not making, like I want us to be balanced. I'm not denying the importance of this priesthood. Okay, because this priesthood is a great honor. Right? And, and, and I said it's just sacramental. Sacramental is more important than anything else. Okay, so for me, I'm not making light of it. But we need to be balanced. Priest is not God. Right? We don't need to make them so high. But we also don't need to eliminate the priesthood because we need the priesthood because God wants order in his church. And the gift of the sacraments, to administer the sacraments, is a great honor. So we want to be balanced. Okay, because some people in the Bible threw away priesthood. And there's a guy in the Old Testament called Korah. K-O-R-A-H. You can look him up when you go home. He basically said, anyone can be a priest. I can be a priest. I can offer incense. And I don't know what happened to him. I think like the earth opened up and swallowed him or something like that. But something small, okay? My point is, let's be balanced. Let's be balanced. Let's not say the priest knows the answer. Like someone who's been a faithful believer, a saint, someone who's been a saint in the church for 50 years, and then a priest who got ordained 10 minutes ago, we're not going to say, no, he knows nothing. The priest knows everything. He's been here for 15 minutes, and this guy's been a believer for 50 years. Actually, you know what? I was just reading this not too long ago. You know, in, the, in, the, in the, one of the great heresies of the church that entered the church was the heresy of Arius. Okay, back when, uh, when St. Athanasius defended the church, the Council of Nicaea, Arius is basically saying, Christ is not God. Christ is not God. You know who saved the church from this heresy? It was not the clergy. It was the lay people. It was actually the poor farmers out in the villages. Because the bishops all gathered together, and Arius was very influential, and there was all kinds of like foul play and politics and stuff like that. So the bishop said, yeah, we agree. Yeah, he's right. Arius is right. Yeah, absolutely, we agree. And they signed all these statements. These statements got back to the faithful who did, were not given the priesthood. And the faithful said, we don't accept this. This is not the faith. This is not what we were taught. We reject this. And I'm telling you, Christianity was saved not because of the, the ordained people. Christianity was saved because the, these people, the poor farmers in the villages, had the same Holy Spirit inside them and says, this is not truth. Do you reject this truth? We have separated the clergy and the laity into these two categories that was never, ever, ever meant to be. We are all one body together, just with different gifts. Okay? Sorry, I get a little pumped up on that one. As a saint, let's wrap it up here together. Let's put it all together. As a saint, I'm called to be holy. As a priest, I am gifted to reconcile the world to God. This is my job description. I'm called as a saint to be something. God wants me as his child, a certain character. Like I said about my kid. I don't want my kid to be, like I said, character and mission. Character, hardworking, honest, reliable, whatever. Mission, successful, whatever. They have to both be there. So I can't say, just be honest and then be a bum for the rest of your life. But you're an honest bum. Okay, you never stole anything, but you have no value in life. No, honesty, character, but without the mission, no good. Or if you say, he's a successful doctor and a successful lawyer and a doctor lawyer kind of a guy, but he's a, he's a cheat and he's a liar and he's... No, I need both. And I don't need one at the expense of the other. I need my inside character called to be holy. But then the outside fruit of that character, as a priest, my job is to reconcile the world to God. What I mean by reconcile the world to God? Okay, here's our verse, our theme verse, that verse about new creation in Christ. Verse, chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's our theme verse. Now the next verse right after that completes the thought. Verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry 
of reconciliation. That is, that God in Christ, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He was saying that we have been reconciled to God and given the same ministry of reconciliation for others. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I am called to be a priest. I am called to a certain lifestyle. I am called to live holy, set apart. Yes, I will fall into sin, but when I fall into sin, I will get up. And I will say that, you know what? I have fallen, and I'm down here with the caterpillars, but I am not a caterpillar anymore. I'm a butterfly, and I will get back up. And as the same way that God has set me apart in the waters of baptism and made me somebody new, when I stray back over here, God, as because I'm a child of his, we saw, talked about last week, preemptively forgiven, will always make a way for me to come back. Always make a way for me to come back. And that's why we talk about another sacrament, the sacrament of repentance and confession, which we always say is the second baptism, okay? Because it's like a renewal of our baptism. That I was created here, God put me over here, and then I slipped back and fell over here, but I will not stay down here. I'm called to be a saint. I'm called to live over there, and whatever it takes, I will fight, I will claw, I will do whatever it takes to live that holy life, because that's how I was called to live. And God doesn't want this from me. God wants this for me, to live free as the butterfly lives. But that I won't be content to sit there. I'm not just going to sit there and live a holy life and say, you know what, I'm the man, and I partake of all the blessings of being God's house without any output. I'm going to go and say I'm a priest. And I know that I have a mission. And my mission is everywhere I go, I represent God. And it's my job to reconcile the world to God. I can't reconcile the whole world. But you know what? Maybe if you did a little piece, and 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 if every one of us did a little piece, and help one person reconcile to God. And help one person reconcile to God, and then maybe that one person will help someone else reconcile to God. You know what? I think we can cover this earth. I think we can cover the entire earth as God commanded us to. We are his ambassadors. We were consecrated. We were set apart. And it's time for us to stop just thinking of our relationship with God in a consumeristic way that I'm just here to be forgiven and loved and grace and mercy and all those good things? Absolutely. But they're there for a purpose. Last verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We, our outlook, our view, our perspective on church is that church is not just a place to come and be a consumer. Church is a boot camp. Church is a boot camp where we come in, we train, we build ourselves up, and then we send ourselves out. And we go out there and reconcile that world to Christ. That's what we, we come for a purpose. When I just come to hear nice words, drink nice coffee, meet nice people, that's great, and, that, and I'm not, not against any of that stuff. But for some of us, what I'm trying to say is it's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. It's time to stop just sitting on the bench on the sidelines and say, you know what, this church thing is really, really, really nice. And I'm kind of into it. It's time to get in the game. And to get in the game, I must prepare myself. Holy lifestyle. Call to be a saint. Prepare myself so that I could get out there on the front lines and I could represent Christ in the way that he should be represented. As an ambassador, as a priest, a royal priest of the great king. That's our calling in life. 
I don't know about you, okay? Me, that gets me pumped up. I get pumped up when I think to myself about the work that God is doing in the universe and how much he's done in me and done in so many people. And then I hear that he wants to invite me to be part of that work. I get myself pumped up about that stuff. Church is not just about coming to church. Church is about coming, character, and then mission outside to the ends of the earth, okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you that you loved us and chose us and washed us and, and gave us a chance to be your children. But we pray, Lord, that you never let us take this, this childhood thing for granted. That you'd, that you'd never let us to just kind of sit back and, 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 and feel good about ourselves because we're in church but help us to realize that, that you've called us to something great, called us to sainthood and ordained us for priesthood, and led us to be faithful to that calling and to that ordination. Teach us what it means, Lord, to be holy and to be set apart. And help us to fight that good fight. And then help us, Lord, to know when to speak and when not to speak and how we can better serve you as your representatives, as your priests. Pray, Lord, for every person who's standing here before you, that you'd help them to continue to mourn more about who they are inside you. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.